Welcome back, dorks. We're here with part two of Desapalooza, the thrilling conclusion. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Hey, listen! The Force Losers Podcast with Brad and Ted. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, your cat stands on the back of your chair. I'm so yeah, she does that. She does that. My little assholes don't do that. So anyway, <laughs> you were saying? <laughs> no worries. So, um, so like, yeah, I found myself on an interesting emotional trajectory alongside the Devin Townsend project because that's around the time that I was in recovery from the bipolar disorder and on the mm-hmm. other side of treatment and learning more about myself emotionally and Mm. of course when you when you're learning more about yourself and what i would classify as my true emotional state because when i was prior to the bipolar treatment it was a life defined by rage it was Mm. you know finding a way to control my rage because i that's i didn't i dealt with depression by getting angry because i couldn't quantify depression i could quantify rage um so as i came on the other side of treatment and I discovered that I'm a much more emotionally sensitive person than I probably give myself credit for. But I still enjoy that music. Mm. And Devin's music was kind of filling that that void very nicely because it, yes, it's raw and it has that energy of metal, but it also has this, this, this different quality that mm. speaks to the emotional growth that he was going through as a person, you know? And so songs like Numbered... Um, Addicted, uh, key, um, infinite ocean that I sent you. Infinite ocean is mm-hmm. like that's my perpetual chill down song. I can mm-hmm. put that one on and just immediately kind of decompress. Um, from the heart, from the transcendence record, you know that's my song to my wife. Mm-hmm. You know because that record also came out in 2016, and 2016 was a really difficult year for us. And there's that mm-hmm. line in there, you know, have I called to tell to tell you how much you mean to me? Like that was me saying that to my wife but you know like i need to be more um i need to mm-hmm. remind you more often how i yeah. feel about you mm-hmm. um and that's and that's the thing even now like with the vocals the, the female vocals i find myself looking for a lot more heavy music that incorporates that because i like sonically i like the contrast mm-hmm. i like you know the really powerful instrumentation with some for lack of a better word angelic uh quality on top of it it's kind of like a, a give me ball. an example give me an example um spirit box is another band that i listen to quite a bit um now that female vocalist she can fucking rip i mean she can scream she can get she can get it but her singing voice is so distinct and so um there's a song called constance if you get if you get a Wait, hold on. circle with me um yeah anyway explain it yeah you'll get to that one that's my adhd going no no i know i know i know uh it's that it's that kind of like ambient quality that's a little more atmospheric and that's Mm -hmm. that's where a lot more of my tastes have gone recently i still dip my toe back into my foundations Mm -hmm. you know like you're not going to hear me uh lifting weights to constance you know that's not something i'm going to do they're doing a tour with Limp Biscuit. 
<laughs> oh boy. Oh, that's a dark period of my music history. You think they're just gonna oh keep my. rolling, rolling, rolling? <laughs> I'm fucking mad at Fred Durst because the label that he was a part of fucked over a musician that back when the album came out, um, there was a video that came out first. There was a guy by the name of Kenna mm-hmm. who came out with a song called Hellbent. That, I remember the video for this. It was an animated type of video where it was just incredible. Mm-hmm. And you waited forever for the album to come out. And when you finally heard the story, it was fucking Fred Durst who kind of shit on it and kind of buried this album. And yeah. this guy's name was Kenna. And it was like, this guy is like so talented too. So anyway, so yeah, your band is touring with... Uh, I didn't know this skit was still playing. Oh, God, that's a dark period of my music history. Hey, Brad, yeah. what's your emotional song? Emotional? Oh, hell. Um, there was... Could be angry, could be sad. I mean, yeah, there's two different emotions. Um, I mean, my angry one was today, but... I'm trying to think honestly. Um, I believe there was a there was an event sevenfold song. Brom to, uh, cocktail. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm familiar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, when like that was that was my frustrated song. I would like there was a lot of things that happened in my life that I had no like control over. I couldn't do anything about it. Just had to accept it and let it happen. And Brompton cocktail. I'm trying to, which skull album was it on? Because what I noticed <laughs> about Avenged Sevenfold, I'm like, that was on the, skulls. it was the white ones. Uh, it's their yeah, name. That was their album. self-titled. The white skull. Yeah. It's yeah, their name. They're self-titled. 2007 self-titled album. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that singer. Cocktail. Yeah. yeah, M. Shadows as a singer is insanely oh, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. He's insanely good. Yeah. That was on the page of notes that I must have left back in Philadelphia because <laughs> yeah. I put, like, they really like skulls, don't yep, they? Yep, that's their mascot. Yeah. The, what does uh, they call it? With the little wings. Now, I told you my angry one, but there was, um, because I told you how much I love chick vocals, and there's yeah. a very small category. Um, 10,000 Maniacs, Natalie mm-hmm. Merchant. I mean, wow. I mean, um, Suzanne Vega. Um, who else did I put in there that would say, um, oh, have you two watched Die Hard 3? Of yes. course. The blonde woman who never said a word. Mm-hmm. She was the baddie. She always mm-hmm. carried like the, the, yeah. Blade, yeah. the knifey thing. Yep. Well, um, if you didn't know, her real name is Sam Phillips, and she is a musician, and she is actually on um, one of the um, one of the songs that I put, and so she actually dedicated one song. I can't play it. So Sam Phillips, her real, she actually was in Christian music for a while. She went by the name of Leslie Phillips. Mm-hmm. So someone who left Christian music, but she was in Die Hard 3. And I'm like, holy shit, that's, that's Sam Phillips. She's married to the producer T-Bone Burnett. I think I've heard of 
Okay, she's married to him. I think he did um, he did like Georgia Satellites and things mm. like that, their first album. But um, I live in southeast Pennsylvania. I'm originally from up near Montreal. I've moved around a lot, but there's a town in my area called Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I remember in 1990, 91, almost pre the greatest musical era um, of everybody's fucking lives, there's a band out there called The Innocence Mission. And there's a husband and wife team. Her name is Karen Paris. And... I was off on medical for three years ago. Um, it was a pretty big deal. And while I was in the hospital, I had my headphones, and that was the only band I listened to. And the calming effect was unlike anything, because mm -hmm. just her voice... Now, early on in the 90s when the Innocence Mission came out, it was a little bit more of a college radio type of feel... Right. Um, but they've moved into the point where I can't say it's eclectic. I can't say it's folk. It's just something else. But her voice right. over the last 30 years has remained pretty much as pure as all get out. And I mean, I can't tell you exactly like a song, but it's just um, their one album, I think that probably came out in, what was it? 2015 it was called hello i feel the same and mm -hmm. there's a song in there they actually talk now um i did i'm a huge mr rogers fan um like beyond belief in right. the whole nine yards and there was actually now at the time they released three mr roger funko pops which i've got over here respect and one of the last ones they had was specifically released by funko and i had missed the deadline to get it and all of a sudden, I remember, because I had to do a lot of sleeping when I was off, just to kind of get my body to heal. Mm -hmm. And I remember waking up to the one song that in my headphones are talking about Fred Rogers. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, my weed father sent me a text and goes, a buddy of mine just had to work up at Funko headquarters. And he sent me a picture and goes, this is yours. But through that entire recovery, just that music of the innocence mission was the ones where, because I mean, this was really mentally, physically, one of the most challenging recoveries um, I've been through. I mean, right. I'm, I'm, until next month, I'm surprised to see how this one will come out, but, but it was that solitude. It was the simplistic nature, um, the angelic, just the, the voice, the voice behind it. And, I think in my playlist, um, I put, I don't know how far down, um, I put a track from their very first album, mm -hmm. which I didn't think I could find for years, and I just found it, um, but I would have to say, the angry part is a Smashing Pumpkins, but when it comes down to pure, I need something to just take me away from where I'm at it's got to be the music of the innocence mission now they kind of have like a little I mean I know they're very spiritual in a way but you would never tell mm -hmm. um, but it's just um, it's 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 probably the voice I mean they've each had their own little solo albums or a husband and wife right but it's just you know it's funny how music can heal the mind and can oh, yes. the body. Oh, and yeah. oh, yes. it was like, I mean, these headphones are noise canceling, which is nice. But I just remember even in the couple of days in the hospital where I couldn't sleep, 
minute the headphones went on, I mean, that was, I mean, they were the only ones I listened to. Right. And, and they actually had another album that came out while I was, re, you know, while I was recovering. And I went through that one and I don't know. It's, it was, I've never seen them live. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they're like 35 minutes away from me, I don't think they do shows at all. Yeah. But it's just, I don't know, but I can ask the both of you to talk about shows. What was the one band that you waited forever to see that you finally got to see? If you could say you had one that was on your list, was on your list and on your list that you've been waiting for X amount of time, but finally got to see the band or the person. Do you have anybody like that? Metallica. I mean, so... So you haven't seen them live? Oh, yes. Three times. But the, okay. the first the first time is always going to be the most special one. Because, Where were you? Uh, that was 2004. So I would have been 16. Um, and actually, this tattoo on my forearm, which I can't get a good angle on, is the guitar pick they used on that tour. Um, wow. Yeah. So I, I mean, like, th- that's the only band that I've ever got tattooed on me. That's how okay. special and important that band is to me. It's funny, so, I actually have a They Might Be Giants one from, there's a song on my list I put, there's a house at the top of a tree. Mm-hmm. Um, before my oldest was born, I remember singing to her that song every day. And to the point where I remember some of the first words out of her mouth when we were always in the car, that's what she wanted. And so for, um, uh, it was actually 10 years ago, this was a line, they had a kid's album that that, that song was on. And there's a really famous graphic design company did all the liner notes for it. And it's literally a house at the top of a tree. And yep. it's great because no one, if you don't know the band, you wouldn't know. Yeah. So I get what you're saying. And so, oh, yeah. I mean, they weren't the band that I waited forever to see. Um, I got to see in 2007. Now, Kevin, it's kind of interesting because I one of the tweets I remember back in the day from you, you had put a request out that people say, hey, talk about the different shows you went to Mm -hmm. and i gotta say some of the interesting some of the results were phenomenal in the response and i think the only band i really wanted to share with people is i got in 2007 i got to see the police oh there you go and i saw them two nights in a row i saw them at a thursday night in philly and then a friday night in hershey yep and i had waited since the 80s to see them and I remember it was the Super Bowl in 2007. And there was a commercial saying they were going to play the Grammys. I like lost my shit. Right. I'm like, and I remember I had to actually, of all people I called, I called my ex. <laughs> and like, you remember the, remember the band I would travel 200 miles to see if they ever played? Yep. And I get the, let me guess, the police are going to do concerts. And I was just beside myself. So Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's other bands I waited for. I had one band I waited 27 years to see. Wow. Um, one of my there's a band called Luna. It's on mm-hmm. my list. There's a song called Slash Your Tires. Um, it's right in that greatest fucking era of all time. Um, I got to say, the only good thing out of my evangelical Christian college from '92 to '94 was I worked at the radio station, and the station manager had a thing where he just didn't play all Christian music. Right. He says, what's the point? 
a typical person who listens is not going to go, I don't want to listen to Christian music, dar, dar, dar. Right. And so, but they would play things like I picked up Dada, um, Midnight Oil, Kitchens of Distinction. Um, it's like, but that 92 to 94, and there's a lot of bands in my list there. To me, that was probably one of the most definitive years. Belly, Pixies. Um, you know, Frank Black by his own, um, Luna, um, oh God, I mean, I, I could even go down the list even more, mm-hmm. but it was like, I saw Luna finally play in nine, uh, 2019, mm-hmm. um, they did an October tour and I got this, I traveled to Brooklyn from where I lived and they were doing that, their first album they were doing the whole thing so the album came out in 91 i had heard of it in 92 right and i got to to the point where i'm literally like staring at the guitar player's crotch um yep wasn't a bad thing um the cutest socks but i mean i made sure i'm right there in the front and it was just incredible to hear the song that i really wanted to hear and going wow 27 years yep to hear. Now, I'm not sure if the police are this in the comparison of it, but it was just like both of those bands. I mean, just the you had to wait for so long. I mean, I remember in the late 80s going like every little thing she does is magic by the police. is one of my all time favorite songs. Right. And like falling in love with the song and going, there's no way I could ever see this band live. But when they toured in 2007 and they'll never do it again. Right. They said after that point, you know. I actually saw Stuart Copeland do, um, I don't know if you, Stuart Copeland's an oyster head. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the guy from Primus. Oh, yeah, let's um, play pool. Fish and, uh, and Stuart. And I saw Stuart does a lot of like symphonic choral, you know, it's like he's huge in that area now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in Pittsburgh, they were, he was basically doing a rendition of um, Paradise Lost by John Milton. And it's like about some layer of hell or something like that. And they're doing a demo, but the guy did an interview with him. And so I don't know how much you two know about the police, but I always thought that Sting and Stuart Copeland hated the living shit out of one another and that they fought after Shea Stadium in 1980, whatever. And Stuart broke Sting's ribs. Mm -hmm. But Stuart made a comment that he said, Sting and I, when it came to talk about life was we got along great. But when it came to talk about music, they were always at each other's throats. Right. But Stuart brought on another thing that my brother-in-law is a drummer. And Stuart said Sting would bring these demo tapes in, which he says they could have won a Grammy on their own. Right. So before they recorded certain bits, Stuart had 20 minutes to hear the song. And my brother-in-law goes, that's why one verse to the next never sounded the same. Because he was literally making it up as he went. Right, And right. didn't allow any time for consistency. Right. But just hearing that, that they didn't, they only hated each other when it came to music. Just like, that was huge to me because I'm like, it, you know, it's like, of all the guys, like Andy, no one ever knows what the fuck with Andy, but Andy and Stuart both got into movie composing. Mm-hmm. But... But hearing Stewart say that him and Sting still respected each other about life, but when it came to music, they fucking hated each other. Yeah. Now, I will say Sting by himself, ugh, 
Yeah. I mean, I actually got to see him a couple years ago in Atlantic City. It is like soldier surgery, so he's like he couldn't play or whatever. I'm like, right. Uh, but Sting doing by himself police covers. I'm yeah. Like, you might as well just stab me in the ass right now because <laughs> it's just like it's just like it's whatever. But so, but it's it's just weird of all the music I listen to. It's like that police is that one little area where it's almost untouchable. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have any bands like that? I mean, besides Metallica, where I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't say the police is my, I would say that they're my favorite band, but there's many others that are close yes. to that. There's quite a but, few, but I would say that they're untouchable when it comes to criticism in my book. Yeah. There's quite a few of those. Um, there's quite a few bands that I listen to that, you know, and maybe, maybe I'm too generous because like, I've always been like that. You know, if I, if you can hook me on something, you're probably going to hook me on something else. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's bands like periphery, um, Anything they put out, I'm going to dig because they're just, they're really clever musicians. Um, uh, Behemoth is another one just because I, it's the, it's the attitude. It's the intensity that is the through line. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're willing to kind of push the boundaries within their own genre. They're willing to push those boundaries and do something different. Mm -hmm. Um, There's got to be another one in there somewhere. There are some bands that I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for their consistency, you know, Such like, as? like Slayer, like, you know what you're going to get with the Slayer record. Like, are they going to push boundaries and do something radically different? No, you know, or like a, a more obscure band like Dark Throne, one of the original Norwegian black metal bands. I mean, what is it with Scandinavia? Like, we're just like their they're, pop music. Um, there was a metal band, even in the Christian field called Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. I remember back in the day where God, early eighties, like mid eighties, things like that. But, but when it came to pop music, you know, we've got ABBA. Um, I was talking to someone about how the early 2000s was another, um, like 2001, 2002, leading mm-hmm. in the 2004, which was another fucking incredible music year. But there's a band called Soundtrack of Our Lives. But it's amazing how many from pop to metal have all come out of Sweden, Norway. Yeah. What is it? I, I, I can't. Well, figure it out the the black metal specifically that is rooted in you know the old norse heritage it's rooted in especially like a an issue with the church right because the you know the church came in and supplanted the norse culture right it 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 took the viking culture and said no you don't get to worship odin anymore uh this is who you worship now um that's why the the early norwegian black metal bands like mayhem and Burzum and, and you know they went on a rash of burning churches down they they weren't just singing about it they were living it um yeah. and it's it's that like i i i, I love th- not that that's not that necessarily burning things down wantingly but the the idea of like fuck the establishment it's that yes. it's that punk rock in me right and that's another thing like when i found punk rock it took me a little while to get around to it but once i got around to it i connected with it because it was just like you know, whatever your system is, fuck it, burn it down. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, 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 I appreciate that kind of stuff. So like a, like a band like the casualties, they're another one. They're another consistent band. They're going to put out a casualties record. It's not going to go wildly divergent. It's not going to look radically different than the last one, but you're going to fucking enjoy it. It's like ACDC. They've been putting out the same record for, you know, 50 years and it works. Song. Yeah. And it works. It works. Like they go into the studio, like no, we don't have to change the four four beat. It fucking works. Just keep doing four <laughs> four, you know. 
Like Malcolm's going to play some chords. We're going to make a shit ton of money. You know, I did find it interesting in your last card. You actually got into like you started talking about time signatures. I'm like, yes, like, yes. There, there's the brass musician in me going. Yes. Mm-hmm, well, because mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, and I was using that to illustrate the point that like, when we would write music in high school, we had egos, right? My, my three friends, we had egos when it came to writing music. We wanted, if we were going to come on stage, we were going to thoroughly fuck with your perception of what was going on. So when we were writing songs, it was about how technical could it be? And mm-hmm. how many, how many counts can we, uh, it was all about fucking up the audience. So there were like sections of our songs where we would do, you know, like, instead of repeating a riff, uh, an even number of times, which would, would nicely set up the next portion, like, nah, just do an odd number. And then, you know, it was like, just, okay, out of nowhere, change the time signature. And that is something that only people that can connect musically, mm-hmm. the, they can pull that off. And it's not prompted. It's not, it's not difficult. Like Black Sabbath did that all the time. Like, they, you know, because they, they were originally a jam band. So they had a, they had a knowledge of each other musically that, you know, is, is not all too common. So, you know, they would just change things on the fly and it sounded effortless, you know, mm. And that's kind of like Henry Rollins said, like, that's the hallmark of a band that's really firing on all cylinders when it can just when crazy stuff like that is effortless. It appears effortless like to the audience. Yes. Yeah. And they don't know what's going into it. Like the audience is like, oh, that was cool. But they don't understand the pieces that have to come together for something like that to, to work, mm-hmm. you know, because I've, I've seen other bands try to do like the odd time signatures and we're going to fuck with you. And it doesn't translate well. It just doesn't. It just sounds like they're they can't get their shit together, you know. I, it's just hard. It's like for being a brass person and growing up in this type of in that type of environment where you know, time signatures, you know, compound duple, or you've got a little bit of six eight going on, you got a three four going on, or twelve eight, or whatever going on. To me, it's like it's logical because mm-hmm. I'm sitting there. And it's funny as I'm staring at my instrument right now, you know, it's like seeing the music time signatures, but guys and bands like yins don't have music in front of you nope and i've always found that type of you know scary to me because like i'm so used to i have the music in front you know in front of me and the eight zingling little notes but like guys like you like i get so pissed off (laughs) at there's a band in this list like one of my um favorite bands growing up it was um there was like there's one CD on there, and I'll talk about it in a minute. But it was actually comprised of four bands, and one of the bands um, I actually got to go to the lead singer's funeral, which was incredible in itself. Um, but he had no formal music training at all. Piano composer, band guy, and studio engineer ran a studio where again talk about very I was the ultimate tedious music prick when it came to Christian music. Like if this guy produced your album, I would listen to you just because of that. Or my right. favorite musician would also do producing. Like I've actually got a, um, there's some metal in my list. If you didn't pick it out, um, no, I did. I got, there's some actually a band called mortal. There are two guys from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite musicians in all the world was a producer and they hit some album. And this band did one tree hill from you too. Mm-hmm. And, this guy was the producer and so again if i found out that one of these guys were the producer or you were on this guy's label you would get my attention 
mm-hmm. first, but yet finding out more about this guy, the one who especially specifically who passed away, like, like, just no, just could just pick it up, play the piano, play guitar, do all this stuff, and it was like, I have all my musical training, years and years, like taught by people from various different humongous bands. And yet, I can't do that. Yeah. And I just pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's funny because, like, I consider myself an insanely average guitar player. Like, I'm not super talented at, at the actual technical side of guitar. Um, my friend Jesse, uh, now, he was a phenom. I mean, no formal training. This guy just was meant to play guitar. He was meant to play that instrument. But he would also just pick up any stringed instrument and automatically know how to play it. I mean, he just he had a he had a musical intelligence that was wow unraveled unrivaled, and you know it, I only bring that up because th- th- this is the anniversary of his passing. And I heard you using the the, the past tense. Yeah. Version, so I was wondering. Yeah, and it's it's he was one of those like lightning in a bottle type guys. Like, the, you're never going to see another guy like him again. Mm. You know and. Uh, he was a guy that challenged me guitar wise because mm. we he and I started playing guitar around the same time. And How old were you? Because you thir- said you were in high school and you were playing in high school. How old? Middle were you school. I was middle school, and when I started playing guitar, I was thirteen. Um, uh-huh. And he started around the same time, and we would sit in my room and jam and and kind of figure out the instrument. Now he was, I mean, light years away from where I was, like fucking wow. light years. Um, I mean, this guy was, he was untouchable. Um, and it was funny because he had such a, like where I feel very confident in my musical ability is songwriting. I, I have a, uh, how do I say this without sounding like a fucking, like I'm full of myself, but, um, ah, go ahead. Just be full of yourself. How much you spent. Yeah, shut the fuck up, Brad. God <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that to come up in this show. Shit. <gasps> Shit. Fun. Busting your ass on Twitter the last uh, week. It's like, oh, thank you, Brad. God anyway. damn it. I'm just look. I'm just staring at my white mediocrity. It's just wonderful. <laughs> but like, you know, I, I do know how, like, I, I, I write songs by feel. And it's, mm-hmm. it's about, you know, does this part mesh with this part? And then where is it going? What's the song trying to do? You know, it's not about, for me, it's not about like, okay, how fucking crazy can it get? It's like, what does it need to be? So mm-hmm. when I write, I write very intuitively. And I remember sitting down with Jesse one time, we were putting together the, the last uh, record we did. And I wanted him to contribute music-wise. I wanted to, I wanted to see what he would bring to the table. So I literally sat there and he would show me these riffs and I would help him put it together in a, in a, in a, in a way that actually made sense and, and, and would build towards something, you know. So it was it was an interesting experience being able to take his skill level, put this stuff together, and then I had the ultimate dread of like, fuck, I got to figure out how to play this because I have to track it. Oh shit, mm-hmm. you know. And it was incredibly challenging, incredibly challenging, um, you know. And that that's just, I don't know. That that's the one thing that like blew me away. Just this guy had no formal training whatsoever. Like that's you, that's you just put, incredible. You put sheet music in front of him, he wouldn't know what to do with it, but. But I mean, like, if you want to sit, if you want to hear him play the Mortal Kombat theme on guitar and shred the fuck out of it from memory, after listening to it for five minutes, he'll do that. 
Like this guy, this guy would, he would get, he would actually come up with intro music for you if you walked into a room. You know, he did that. <laughs> yeah, he did that to Eric. He had like this like swaggery stuff. Like when Eric would walk into a room, he would play the same thing. You know, it, you, you would never find him without a guitar in his hands. He lived with that guitar in his hands. I mean, even when he was, when we were in school, they, he took that thing everywhere. Or he would just skip school and just be playing guitar all the time, you know, which I tried to do, but didn't get me very far. <laughs> wow. Brad, yeah. did you play at all? Um, I played piano. Uh, that was just... Were you, made to, were you made to take lessons as a kid? Oh, yeah. 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 Because my, my grandmother, uh, she was... Oh, God. She, she was a veteran from World War II and... Her position was that she organized entertainment for the troops on the base. Mm. And so she kept doing that throughout her life. And she, she did, uh, like anytime there was like a local, like I grew up in uh, Long Beach, California. And anytime there was like a theater production that needed to go on or something, like she was usually the one that threw it together and directed it. Mm. And she was big into theater. She was big into like music and stuff like that. Um, but she ended up, uh, she got me piano lessons with the church organist. Yeah. <laughs> always goes back to the church. It, it does. Well, I mean, my early life. But, but you know does. what? But it's true though. I mean, like I've, I, we did in our one religion podcast on, we did a, a sit the second, which I had a hard enough time, time saying Sithy minutes, yeah. and now we're saying Sithy seconds for the short thing. I'm like, Andres, but, what the? Why <laughs> we just call ourselves the Tongue Twister podcast? I mean, but it's you can say fucking those two brilliant. Things. God damn it, it is. Hey, I want to create one, and I just sent Andres a message this morning where I want to do one that talks about sex, Ooh. sex advice, sex themes, and I want to call it Thirsty Seconds. Yes. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yes. Yes. Hard yes. It's and like yes, a Dear Abby type of thing, but sex with a little Star Wars type of thing. Because you like see all the, the fanfic writers. I mean, like, oh, yes, yes. That One is of my, my friends, Emma, her writing is like, it's like, no offense, but it's time to, you know, have a little, you know, get a little quiet time and read the writing. I mean, it's just, but... I think it would be phenomenal because oh, yeah. one of it's learning about different things. But anyway, so... Um, I forgot how we uh, got into the. I don't. I, I don't know, but like I'm just saying, like <laughs> my, one of my favorite fucking things about fan fiction is how fucking filthy people get. I love it. Like but we all are. That's the yes! thing. We've got so repressed to think about sex is this like untouchable thing. It's like, but yet yeah. at the same time, it's amazing. Like like even my own doctor, I had to go for a pre-op physical. Mm-hmm. And my primary doctor, I love her so much. And we're talking about my relationship with my oldest and getting phone messages. And so she's, I was showing her on my phone my lab results. And she goes, oh, is your daughter's name Mo? And I'm like, yeah. And she said, well, you got a message. She goes, oh, I remember one time. She guess was petitioning her husband for sex. And she goes, I was messaging my husband. I'm like, it's go time. You know, let's do this. <laughs> and then I get, the, he, I get the message back from my husband. Um our daughter had the phone when you messaged her. <laughs> 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 oh, so God. it's like I was dying of laughter. But but see, in my life growing up, music was like, it was, was huge because of the brass banding. And I remember at five years of age, like 
Uh, my parents were in seminary and I remember having an instrument in my hands. And I remember through like early on in school and it was a school that allowed me the day to day, but church related stuff where, um, but that's all it was for me. I mean, right. I mean, even I moved around a lot. I was in four different high schools and you know, the longest place I had growing up was six years because my parents were both pastors. And so we moved around a lot. So yeah, it's the church in a way. The for me, as I was going back to talking about, there we go. Fuck, ADHD is a <laughs> fucking horrible thing, but I made it full circle. You are on because, the right fucking show if you have ADHD. You're on the <laughs> right fucking squirrel. show. Yeah. We can't we can't stick to one topic to save our fucking lives. But it's the church where I've got most of my public speaking ability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad would teach me. Doesn't hurt to ask. So walk into a place. Worst comes to worst, is they tell you no. So it's leadership ability, musical ability, um, all of that came from the church. And so that's where my music was Um, when, you know, like, I mean, it's funny as I reconnected with someone who remembers me from my early teenage years and I was bullied bad. Mm -hmm. And it's funny as I asked this person and I didn't expect this answer. They go, the, the quote was, you were so advanced as a teen, no one knew what to do with you. Mm-hmm. And so the people that didn't know what to do with you, especially if they were older than you, just turned their back on you. And they bullied you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, 30-some-odd years later, I'm hearing this. and But yet, but Brad, you're right. I mean, so music lessons in the church, you know, yeah. like that way and piano and everything and music and whatnot. I mean, think about how many musicians we know. If you go through some of your favorite bands, Skillet, um, <laughs> they would find that their background is from the church. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know I'm not a believer anymore. Um, thank you, right wing and thank <laughs> you, parents. Um, but yet, there are certain things I would never take away from my life. It's yeah. the, um, my sense of entitlement comes from being a pastor's kid. Uh, not following the rules comes from being a pastor's kid. But yet the leadership ability, like I said, musical quality, um, my ability to bullshit my way out of anything, all comes from, from that. Yeah. And but, but music to me was like, it's a bizarre, like, I can draw a line in my life where people knew me from a certain point before was music and church. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I'm in Center City, Philadelphia today, and I had an ex-co-worker come down to help me with some stuff. And we're having brunch in a restaurant. In walks a person I hadn't seen in 30 years. But wow. knew me from church-related stuff where she's no longer. She walks up. She's like, Dana? I'm like, holy shit of all people and now we had like facebook i had dropped off facebook at the end of 2019 but you know we had started talking but of all people and that was a person who knew me back then it was yep. church or that and then later on for me it became mascotting and hockey right and now it's other stuff but it's just weird how certain like okay let's talk about music like can you define certain periods of life music absolutely oh yeah absolutely i i can even define this period now my podcasting period okay what are, we're talking about your what's your podcasting music well like, talk to me about this well period. this is the, there's a direct line right so 
when I was in my early 20s, it was playing shows. And that was my, even in high school, high school, early 20s was playing shows because I loved being on stage. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the point of the day at which I could open up the pressure release valve and act fucking crazy and let it all out and just yeah. hammer away on the guitar and just have a great time, right? That ended, you know, that ended. The We put out our last record and that was it. Like, you know, my we, we had said what we had to say and that was it. Mm-hmm. I found myself in a state of flux because I wasn't performing anymore. Now, granted, I wasn't performing to big fucking crowds. It was basically like, thank you, sound guy. Appreciate it. You know, <laughs> it was a lot of that. But Tip like, your waiter. We'll be exactly, exactly. Yeah. We'll be right there, bar guy. Get the drinks ready. You know, it, it, that was it. But like, I needed a performative thing to do. And podcasting became that thing. Because mm. at the end of the day, they're both rooted in the same thing. I'm on stage with a loud instrument because I want you to notice me. I right, hi, pay attention. Hey, pay wacky, attention me, yeah, wh- wacky motherfucker over here. You know, and that's what podcasting is, right? Like that's what we're doing this for. We're all like, hey, pay attention to me. I have interesting things to say. Hey, hey. it's there's a direct line between that and this. This is just like the next phase of creative endeavors. You know, which is interesting because I don't know where music me playing music goes from this point that's kind of this 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 thing that i'm still trying to figure out i saw that that was a yeah oh yeah sorry go ahead keep talking but that was it and that's the thing like so different periods in my life musically yeah absolutely i mean in a in a and that's kind of like the those three bands that i chose you know metallica was the inception that was Mm -hmm. where it began for me Killswitch was the awakening that you can still play intense, heavy music, but it can matter. The lyrical content can matter. You can connect to more than just the instrumentation. And then Devin was like the final genesis of that, where it's all connected. The way the music is presented, the way the lyrics are presented, the way it's produced, all of that is playing into whatever emotional resonance I need at that time because Mm. music was so important to me in the beginning because it gave me a voice. It Mm. said the thing that I could not articulate in the most forceful way possible. And even now as a more emotionally mature adult, I hope, um, mature. Yeah. We'll put air quotes on that one. You know, we'll, we'll say that loosely. Okay, good. Just checking. I mean, I'm yeah. going to get your wife in there to have to kind of, you know. She would correct me immediately, but yeah. But we'll, 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 okay, anyway, but anyway. <laughs> but still, but all right. But like, even now, it's still that voice for me. It's still the thing mm-hmm. that speaks when I can't articulate it, you know. Uh. And that's, even now, my wife and I will trade songs all the time. It's it's like, hey, check. I just, just now, just tonight, before we came out, I was like, dude, listen to this song. Listen to the lyrics. It's so important. It's it's impactful. What are you, you know? trading? So I showed her a new song from Light the Torch. Um, it's called the song's called Death of Me, and I kind of view it through my mental illness lens. And she'll show me, you know, whatever song she, it, she's up to at the minute. Like I remember in 2016, she uh, had just discovered Halsey as an artist, and hmm. you know that was before she really blew up. She had a, a her first record, I think, came out, and while it musically doesn't do anything for me. I could feel the purpose behind it. I could feel the intensity behind it. And I could see that it was moving my wife. And so we still do that. We still trade stuff back and forth, even though like she might not like it. She'll <laughs> listen to it because it, it matters to me, you know? Yeah. And okay. 
Brad, do you and your wife do that? Do you guys trade? Oh God, no. <laughs> I was gonna, like, fuck no. no! I don't want to see Billy Joel or. <laughs> it's just like, at, like at most, I think the the only music we really have in common that we would listen to. Like she listens to Backstreet Boys, and I'm just like, yeah, no, I listened to that a hundred times because of my mm-hmm. sister. So sure, I'll listen to yep. it. But other than that, like she's Avril Lavigne, um, hmm. like any any teenage any like band any any band that a uh, like a early two thousands teenager would listen to. Mm. But I mean, I have to say, um, my oldest was born in two thousand four. And it was interesting where recently I put together a playlist. Um, I have it in my Spotify. It's called 2004. And it was amazing as I went to dig through my musical likes, how many bands from Modest Mouse to one of my favorite bands, Luna, who I had mm-hmm. waited 27 years to see. Um, like, I think I, like, I, I picked up a band. There was a radio station out of Cincinnati called WOXY. And I think I put that in my email to you going, this was a period in my life where they were internet streaming radio station. Right. And I think that's just the time where I had first got into podcasting a, a ways. And thank God I can't find any of these original recordings anywhere <laughs> because I'd be like, no. Yeah, um, we know that feeling. <laughs> but, but like I, came across a few bands, one called The Magnetic Fields, um, mm-hmm. which is lead guys called Stephen Merritt. And gay as all get out. <laughs> and but he has the one album, it's like some of the things was like, I love the song where it's like, um, I don't really love you anymore. It's like there's one song I feel like he's a harpsichord in it. Right. Um, or I wish I had an evil twin. And it's like I get just like but it was like I found this whole new genre, um, you know, from Luna, as I said, Modest Mouse, Jem, Feist, Cake had a great album, Ben Folds. Now, Ben Folds is kind of funny. Right before I picked up one of his albums, like 311, 311 made me to the point where, say, no one should ever fucking be allowed to do a Cure cover. Nobody. <laughs> After what 311 did to a Cure song in their cover, I, no one should ever be allowed. But all of a sudden, I picked up a Ben Folds album. And all of a sudden, the first song, I'm like, I just said no more than 15 minutes ago. And there, Ben Folds treated me wrong. Right. And um, bands like Travis and a weird band. Have you ever heard of Keen? Can't say that I have. Like a three-piece band. I was for work in Louisville, Kentucky. And I remember looking at them. The funniest part was, there was a band that was popular at the time called Howie Day. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of them? I've, I've never heard of them. Can't say that I have. And I guess they played and some guy like came up to me and like some other guy was going nuts. And I go, are you like famous or something? <laughs> so goes, oh, this is the guy from this band. And I looked at him I'm like, I have no idea who the hell you are. <laughs> and I think I hurt his feelings. <laughs> But I remember walking out of there with this Keen album, Franz Ferdinand. Um, who else? Um, the Beastie Boys to mm-hmm. the Five Burrows. I mean, um, and there was another weird guy. Um, it's weird. MTV actually had a really good purpose. And so I put on my list 7,200 seconds, but I really meant 120 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a dork. I like numbers. And so <laughs> there was um, there was a couple bands. Like, again, Chick Vocals, Ivy. Right. Um 
Peter, Bjorn, and John, but there was one guy who came out of England. His name was Badly Drawn Boy. Mm -hmm. And the, he came out in right around like the early 2000s called like something, uh, the Bill Wilder Beast or whatever. And he did, there was a movie called About a Boy. He did a soundtrack, but British guy. Right. And it was like, holy shit. And so, uh, you know, Regina Spector, Green Day's American Idiot came out in 2004. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. William Shatner album came out in 2004. Jimmy Eat World. Leonard Cohen had a great album. Um, the Killers. The Killers. Like yeah. my oldest, I remember a story about my oldest when she was probably two-ish, young, you know, like that way. Um, that one big killer song, I'm now going to draw a blank. Um, human. Okay. Um, Interpol. Um, just like 2004 had the Bee Gees number one hits. Like I will right. admit, I am the biggest Bee Gees fan on the planet, there is something you talk about sound writing and harmony. I'll give him that. There's nothing will drop my panties faster than a good <laughs> BG song. It's just there's something about it that's just that's that's amazing. But yeah. yet it was for me, I can define, as I said in the message, I can define all these years in my life. Like I can figure like my they might be giants years. It's mm -hmm. probably one of the only one of the bands that my, my ex and I is weird, as much as we didn't get along because we were so much alike. It was weird where I learned out of the TV show Grey's Anatomy of some of the different music bands, but like to me, I'd, I've been a huge They Might Be Giants fan for years. Right. Um, I've seen them many times over the years, but for me, it's like you went for the emotional part of the angry rock. Mm -hmm. I went for the, the creative, it's okay to be weird. It's okay yeah. to be that weird out, dare to be stupid. And yeah. And it was amazing how, like, over the time, They Might Be Giants have grown. There was just the two of them with a computer soundtrack to now being a full band. Yeah. Um, was, you know, nothing short of amazing. But, but we have to have the conversation. We have to have the ska conversation. Sure. Now, you talked about punk. You talked about metal. Mm -hmm. For me, ska was the merge of metal, punk, and my brass background. Yeah. Like, you could take the hardest of hard, put horns to it, and for me, it made it, like, all better. Yeah. and It has like, a different um, energy. It just has a different energy. God, like, even, like, some Christian ska bands. And yeah. And I remember going to see them. Like, it's funny. There was a band that I remember when I would go to shows, I would convince their, their, their people to let me work the merch table. Because mm. you know why? I got all the free fucking shit you could possibly imagine. There you go. And remember when I told you I sold all that Christian music? Yep. I had stacks of stickers from 20 years. And, you know, I sold a lot of those stickers for 20 bucks a piece. Nice. nice. Because, like, someone bitched at it. I'm like, fucker, <laughs> you go find them these stickers somewhere else, and I guarantee you, you are not going to find these stickers anywhere. Fucking make that but, paper. Oh, God. It was just, but, but the, something about Scott to me. So, like, um, like. Save Ferris. Um, mm -hmm. I just made a comment earlier. It's like I fell in love with like the Aquabats. Right. And but ska to me was like chick vocals and ska was like a whole nother level. Right. Like Gwen Stefani and no doubt, I still fucking hate them. <laughs> I've never liked Gwen Stefani at all. But yet ska to me was that you could be like as hard as all get out. 
But when that brass threw in, it just, it, it took it to a whole nother level. But the hate people give on Ska, I don't understand it. I mean, it's probably one of those things where it's like, it's, it's doing its own thing. It's stepping to its own beat. And you're going to get disparate reactions, right? And they're going to kind mm-hmm. of, it's going to be on one pole or the other. Either someone's going to love the hell out of it, or they're going to just say, fuck that. Like and it's whenever you have something that is inherently unique, you're gonna get that reaction. It's gonna be polarized, I think. That's just my reading. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, I, I see that on a granular level with you know bands that I listen to. If they have the temerity to try something a little different on a record or go in a little different direction, it becomes a polarizing moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Metallica doing going from the Black Album to Load drastically different records drastically different sounds yeah you know, i agree incredibly polarizing response um you know that's but that's a good thing like mm. i think ultimately you know even if it did like for me if, if if an artist put out something that i could tell was artistically brave and but it just didn't resonate with me it's like okay no no worries i still get it like they they mm-hmm. were trying something different and as artists that is their want they that is their want to do it's their mm-hmm. art. They can take it in whatever direction they want to. Um, you know, that's... Yeah, I respect the hell out of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as a person that knows what goes into creating songs and making music, I can respect a, an artist that's going to do something different, even though they might know, like, oh, well, this might not receive or land very well. Like, I get what it's like. I know how hard it is to create music and how hard it is to make it authentic, you know? But have you noticed bands like I think about I put you two in this category. I see bands for a while. They do music because this is what we love. Right. This is what we do. And you sense that there's that emotional attachment to it. Mm -hmm. But you can tell like, again, you two where it seems like they went from more. We like this to what do you like? Right. Yeah. And And that happens sometimes. And I can see in a band like that. See, see in bands like that where. It, it changes them. Mm-hmm. REM was the same way. Um, mm-hmm. Dead Letter Office is an incredible album. Um, right. Eponymous. Um, the Green Album, you know, that has, you know, it's the end of the world as we know it. Mm-hmm. Out of time is that, you know, shiny, happy people talk about our B-52s type of thing. Right. Um, sh- out, the album Out of Time, which came out 91? Yeah, I remember when it came 91. But for me, anything after that for REM, I won't touch. Yeah. Like, I remember buying, when it came out, the day it came out, I remember buying Automatic for the People. And at the same time, I bought 10,000 Maniacs, Our Time in Eden, which came out a week before it, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And both of those bands, much as Candy Everybody Wants and much that, but I started seeing a shift. But no more was, was REM. Mm-hmm where just something about automatic for the people just sense where they lost that just like go back and pull early you know rem music you know? yeah again some of the ones i mentioned fables of the reconstruction holy shit yeah that out i mean just you know that but dead letter office i mean like Femme, their cover of Femme fatale mm-hmm. is amazing yeah which will go into a weakness of mine i am the biggest cover fan I love covers because no, nothing makes you focus on the lyrics more than a cover song. Mm-hmm. 
Like, it could be your favorite. Like, you could go back and like, man, I know this song for eons. If someone else does it, you're like, oh, yeah. that's what the words are. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, I love it when different bands come through. And like, I've got playlists that are full of nothing but covers. And it's amazing how I can go, th- you can go through and go, holy crap that band did a cover or this yeah. band a cover or when like you have like one of your favorite bands and a whole bunch of other bands to a tribute album oh, yes. to that um that's kind of been a cool thing that's kind of been a cool thing about the quarantine era actually is that a lot of different artists have been getting together at least in in the metal community to do cover songs and to to put together like these virtual concerts where they're all getting together from different bands and getting people to collaborate and have different yes. takes on things has been really interesting. It's been really interesting. It's been more like the one of the few bright spots of the of the COVID era, we'll call it. Mm. Yeah. But holy shit, have we been going for a long fucking time? I don't even pay attention. Oh, <laughs> fucking but hell. I, I, I wanted to ask, though, like, out of my 2.5 million songs I posted, <laughs> like, any comments about any of them? I mean, no, actually, you I'm know, not. A, I'm not afraid of sharing my opinions. No, about no, 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 anything. no. No, one of the one of the, the the journey into peace was that the one, the brass mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I really enjoyed the subtle, the subtle parts of it, where you could tell that the the person playing the brass instrument was kind of metering how much air was coming in, and they're 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 mm. it's they're getting a very specific kind of tone out of it it's very subtle i like embellishments like that that's the stuff that kind of catches my attention because it's like it's that's a, it's a great piece yeah um, i've never played it with a band before but i actually have somewhere in my files i have the piano score to this mm-hmm. and i remember walking into a certain soloist competition it was 1990 mm-hmm. and i handed it to the person and they were like yeah, we can't play this. <laughs> and I remember for my piece, I stood up there and played it with no accompaniment music whatsoever. Right. And it goes, that little, it's how it starts. There's a huge jump. I mean, literally from going from low up to high. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of nowhere. But it's like, and I know the guy who composed the piece. Um, he lives in the Chicago area. He's a euphonium player as well. Um, Bandmaster, composer. And I had first heard that song where he went to somewhere in Oakland, California, and they did a concert, and he recorded it. And after hearing it, I had to have it. Mm-hmm. And so I remember reaching out to him. He gave me the piano part, and so I wanted to play it. And But that's why I had to throw that in the list, because right. it was just like, that was the instrument I play. That was my life for years. That was my music major in college. Right. And, you know, this, that brass band thing but yeah so no journey in the piece is like as much as i didn't want to put it in there but that one piece more than anything just has that little bit of a meaning to it so um, yeah yeah i've never met the guy who played at melbourne staff band they're in australia um they're a really good band from what i used to remember mm-hmm. um i've so far removed from the salvation armory anymore these days or i fucking hate them yeah um but it was just you know you saw how the sausage was made i mean oh just yeah like as a kid you moved around and you yeah, no, that'll do but it. But that one song just has that memory from 30 years ago. Yep. And, you know, I remember like turning the lights out and just, you know, and the, 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 there's actually a course called All Your Anxiety. The course is All Your Anxiety, All Your Care. Um, 
bring to the mercy seat, leave it there, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Never a friend like Jesus. Right. And at the time, I'm like, okay. But it's like, but it was just more of the way that it was composed and everything like that. So, right. right it is just, it was, it's such an emotional piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, to hear it, the technical nature of it, but to play it is just, it's, 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 a, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. It's great. It's great. Well, holy shit. After about three hours. <laughs> I don't even know what time it is. Oh, it's fucking awesome. I don't know what morning. Well, I, I mean, look, all right, let's let's bring this bird in for a landing because, I mean, god damn, this has been a great discussion. Brad looks sleepy, that's why. No, actually, I I have a thing in my eye. That's why I have the glasses, but there's a muscle paralyzed on the right side of my eye, and mm-hmm. it, as I get tired it will actually start to drift inward mm-hmm. and it really messes with my vision. Well, no worries. We're going to get him tucked into Betty buys. We're going to yes. get him a glass of warm milk. Um, the one song I got to throw in there. Go for uh, it. I saw they might be giants playing the nineties mm-hmm. and they were in Philadelphia and two people opened for them, the moldy peaches and then Afro man. Now my Afro man story is this, mm-hmm. the oh, DJ hands behind his head like this but before he did that he unzipped his pants Uh and he actually controlled the crossfader with his dick fucking hell man he had it like up that way and playing and he just went back and forth like that and you could see it's going and i mean because i got high i mean great and we all know that it's a great song but to me it was that one memory of yeah, Molly Peaches came out just like the Thundercats, but yet Afro Man's DJ ran the crossfader with his junk. I mean, respect because I am not that blessed. I mean, I'd, I'd have to get real close to the fucking crossfader. Um, <laughs> get respect. <laughs> Crawling up on top of no the table. shit, like no shit. I am. I mean, I'll respect that. I'll respect that all goddamn day. Oh my god. Good for him. I, See, like, I could go down through almost every one of these songs and almost tell you a story. Um, Twisted Sister, I Want to Rock. I rode my bike for, like, mm-hmm. I'm not physically fit. I wasn't as a teen. Yeah. I remember riding my bike for what was like a 20-minute car ride. It took me hours. And that was the album I had on my cassette tape, and I played the entire time was that Twisted Sister album because my parents wouldn't let me listen to it. Right. You know, my neighbor was my bad influence at the time, so... I listened to that album nonstop for hours on a bike ride. You want to talk about angry fuel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that's the that weird was thing. The one. Um, even today, when I'm when I'm training, it is a very specific type of music that I listen to because it has to. I have to get into almost a zen phase mm-hmm. where I'm not thinking about anything. I'm yeah. just in the moment. I'm devoid of complications, and certain types of really aggressive music put me in that place you know because it's not so much okay so what it is is there's a moment right before a big lift and i know i'm about to wax poetic about fucking the kingways but just bear with me um there's a moment right before where i have to push out all thought and because i know that when i'm in that when when the bar like say for a, a squat when that bar is on my back and it feels like it's crushing me I go to instinctive mode. It's all instinct. And the music is the vehicle to help me get to that instinctive point. Because I can't think in that moment. 
all I'm doing is reacting. And all I'm doing is because of the, the driving nature of that type of music, it's just driving mm-hmm. you forward. That's the thing. Cause my, all my brain is telling me is get this fucking thing off your back. What the fuck is wrong with you? You know, but my, my, the subconscious is like, no, don't be a fucking puss. You can do this. You can mm-hmm. do this. Keep going. And it's that music that helps get me to that space, yeah. you know? All right. So let me ask you a sappy question. Cause we're all, we're all the married type here. Yeah. What song did you dance to at your wedding? We didn't, we didn't have an actual wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Our wedding was put together in three fucking days and we had it on the back patio of our apartment at the time. Aww. So there was no dancing. Uh, it was, that was a, my first wedding. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it was. It was a weird thing. Our, our wedding's a weird story because we had our our wedding was more for my my father in law who was passing away from pancreatic cancer. Um, my wife wanted to see wanted him to give away his daughter wanted him wanted him to see us get married because we've been together for so long up to that point. That's important. Um, so yeah, it was a weird thing. We didn't dance at all, um, but there are songs that I correlate directly with my wife. You know, from like, from the heart, as? from the heart, the one that I sent you from Devin Townsend. That's that's oh, okay. That's to her. That's the uh, song that I, I give to her. There's also one by Periphery called Loon. Um, uh, that's that's another one that I correlate with her. Uh huh. Um. Interesting. Yeah, Brad. Brad, what are you at? Um, we dance to you. Uh, oh hell, I'm getting trouble for this one. Uh, what what? You and me. Trying to remember who it was by. Okay. Was I have a I, go on. I have a guilty pleasure. Um, I don't know if it came from. I think it came from the TV show Night Court. I'll be honest with mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with Mel Torme. I remember seeing him live my freshman year of college. Ah. A blind jazz pianist by the name of George Shearing, and. One of the songs on the playlist I gave you was Mel Torme's I'll Be Seeing You, which many other people have recorded the song. Mm-hmm. But that was the song that I convinced my wife to dance with me. Ah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just was some people didn't expect it. Right. You know, because like, well, oh, let's go for Sinatra. I fucking hate Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I will say it to the world. Frank Sinatra sucks. He was a notorious um, dick. He was an asshole. He's yeah. untalented. He's a little bit more musically trained than Fred Snyder, in my opinion. Um, but Mel Torme, um, everyone will know him for his most famous song of all time, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, mm-hmm. the Christmas song. Mm-hmm. Mel wrote that. But um, there's just something about that man's voice. And that whole greatest musical era of all time, when I worked at the college radio station, um, there's a... Bella Fleck and the Flecktones song on there. As I learned a jazz form called Fusion. That's where I got stuck first at the radio station. But then I got to do more of the modern rock stuff. But what was funny is that there was a radio station on Long Island called WDRE, which was all modern rock stuff where they were incredible. So I got really, that's where that era was. But at the same time, around the area of the college, there was a big band station. Mm -hmm. They played music of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And it was amazing where if I wasn't in the radio station on, on, on campus, all I listened to was big band. Okay. And someone just goes, how can you shift gears from literally getting in your car, listening to big band, 
walking into a station and playing, you know, Midnight Oil, Kitchens of Distinction, Luna, all these different things. Plus that I'm like, to me, I thought it was a perfect segue between the two because yeah. they were just, it's not like there's such similarity, but it's yet, it's a passion type of move. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of and course. It's, it's interesting to see, like, I think a lot of times people are so worried about the image that it gives if they like a certain musician or oh, a certain yeah. artist. Like, I hate country music. <laughs> I mean, I actually think now metal is almost as redundant as country, but yet country will always take the cake. Not oh, yeah. old school country, but yet I think techno is less redundant than country. Mm -hmm. And I had a former coworker who introduced me to the rave scene and it was amazing. Um, I never tried ecstasy before, which did first time took it had no effect on my body whatsoever, which is still bizarre, but I fell in love with a form of techno called drum and bass mm -hmm. where I remember being in the drum and bass tent. And I'm like, I had just never experienced anything like that before. Mm hmm. And it was amazing how that experience like opened doors. Right. Like I was always afraid of no friends. I was afraid of drugs at the time. And now right. I'm like, I had friends go like, eh, it's okay. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it is okay. Sure. But it was just weird how certain people in your life, like, I mean, I kind of liked electronic music before, but it turned into techno. It turned to like electronica, like Dave Clark. I've got a song on there, The Compass. One right. of my friends was a huge, is a huge Dave Clark fan. And we saw Dave Clark, you know, we went to like raves where like 30,000 people care. We saw KRS-One, um, Andy C, you know, things like we were in the Asbury Park Convention Center where it could probably hold 10,000, but there was like 30,000 people there. Damn. And I mean, just like crazy. Yeah. And Shit. next weekend, I'm somehow got roped into up in my, one of my friends is my weed father's traveling from Portland to Scranton. Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. of all places, to see like J Rad, um, Oysterhead's gonna be there. It's like an outdoor festival. Hmm. And wow. he got VIP tickets for four days. And my friend of mine, or another one of her friends, canceled on him. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't wanna go this alone. So I've never been into the jam band scene before. Um, Dead and Company, like I remember traveling to Chicago with them. They saw Dead and Company two nights in a row in Wrigley Field. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I didn't go, but. And so I'm going to get ready to be exposed to the jam band scene. And I'm kind of wondering if I'm going to like it or not. But I mean, I, I've got a little experience with that. I did go see the Allman Brothers in 2004. Um, and that was interesting that was, from, a, from like a, a musical perspective, like watching guys like jam like that, you know, while they had like definite set points and end points within these songs. But in the middle there, they would just break off and just do these jams. Mm. Um, from a musician's Allman perspective, are, I mean, that's a good, that's yeah. Allman brothers. That's a good thing. Yeah. I mean like from a, from a musician's perspective, I find that to be endlessly fascinating because you're like, Oh, these people, like you're watching people connect in the moment Yes. as musicians and they're just yes. riffing off of each other. And even the imperfect moments have that, that this appeal because though it may be imperfect, it's live. It's yes. happening right now. Um, I, that's a fascinating thing. Like as much as I like the intensity of going to a metal show, the interesting nature of watching a jam band is, is also really cool because it's just like you're watching these people in the moment. This mm -hmm. is a, it's a snapshot in time. And that jam is, might be completely unique 
and you'll, mm. you'll never hear it like that again. They'll never play it the same way twice. That's a know? good point. That's you know? very true. So even if it's like, even if it's like, okay, that didn't hit very well, that's, it might never come up again. That might be a snapshot in time. You might be one of the only people on the world to hear the music in Who that way. Who to hear that. Yeah. Do you have any guilty pleasure type of concerts you've been to? Nope. Or like, I've gone to one where it's like, uh, people wouldn't expect me to go to it? Nope. I have zero guilty, to, no, because I I don't feel guilty about anything that I enjoy, you know. Like, I'll give you an example. I've seen Barry Manilow mm-hmm. three times, and I, as a kid, and that's why I put one of those songs on my list. I have always loved Barry Manilow, and it got to the point where April tenth, two thousand fifteen, was a humongous day in my life, and I was in Vegas. Um, you know, as far as a pivotal point in my life and moving from one situation to another that mm-hmm. was my like day one and i got to see barry manilow play at the mgm grand okay and i've got to see him twice since but i have to say of all the shows if i have to say like one that i would never think people would expect me to go to i'd have to say i love seeing barry manilow perform because dude is like 75 mm-hmm. 77 now his shows i mean Dude busts his ass. Mm-hmm. He is a performer. He is a showman. And I got to tell you, he can write a damn song. That's true. I mean, credit where credit's due. Oh, yeah. Credit where credit's due. But, I mean, yeah, I've never, I don't know. I've never felt a need to, like, call anything I do guilty. You know, even if it's like, oh, I'm going to go see this, like, the Allman Brothers. Like, you know, some of my friends that were more in the metal thing, like, oh, you're going to go see mm-hmm. fucking Allman Brothers. Like, I don't give a fuck. Because they're really good guitar players, and I want to go see some really good guitar players play guitar, you know. Or, you know, if I wanted to go see, like, okay, like, I'll give you a Devin Townsend story. We saw him play in 2013, and this is how different this guy is. He had an entire club full of leather jacket, bearded, long-haired metal heads doing jazz hands. Because he has a song called Lucky Animals, and it has this, like, peppy kind of quality to it. And he literally has an entire fucking club full of metalheads doing jazz hands and then he went to go play one of the biggest metal festivals in the world Bakken open air in germany and instead of having all of these people do like a massive circle pit or the wall of death he made everyone do a giant group hug like hundreds of people (laughs) in a giant group hug you know so like you know why some of the the true metal people like oh that's pussy shit yeah Like, I don't give a fuck. That's awesome. He had a bunch of people doing jazz hands in a club. Like, that's fucking cool. Look at that. It's a giant group hug. Fuck you. You know, I, I, I like, like that. that. You know, that's and th- yeah. so I don't, I don't know. I've never felt guilty about anything that I enjoy because it it's resonating with me for a reason. So why should I feel guilty yeah. about that? I guess guilty pleasure was a bad way to put it, but just something where if you mention going to see a person, probably the other person may give you shit for a time being. Even though, like, look, I mean, like I said, I love Barry, mm-hmm. and I get it all the time, where I'm like, you what? And I'm like, that one song, I made it through the rain. I remember as a kid, where I just, like, I would sing that song all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's as an adult now, and being a parent, and you listen to those words, it's like, granted, you know, midlife crisis kicks in, and it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, it's it becomes a big deal. Like, you've been through a lot of stuff. You've made it through. And, you know, it's like you've hopefully got some respect to people, like, along the way. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, so I know we've been talking a while. But um, that <laughs> playlist that I put there, I mean, 
there are so many wrinkles out of my life. Oh, from yeah. My Christian days to my love of crash test dummies, which no one can understand. Um, Nor should they have to. Nor should they have to. You it's know? just that guy's voice. I mean, as much as you look, you know, like that. Mm, 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 right. It's just, it's the uniqueness of it. Or exactly. Or like, God, I mean, like I told you, like Weird Al, PM Dawn. I don't know where that came from. You know, they did that one um, Spando Ballet cover. Yeah. But as I dug into them more, holy shit, I love, you know, love them. Um, One of you two started talking about religious type of things. And growing up, it might have been you. Probably Brad. me, yeah. There's an artist by the name in my list called Father John Misty. And it's interesting. We have a little bit in common because we both went to the same evangelical college, but at different times. And his parents were, you know, kind of similar to mine, but he's totally removed from the situation. But there's a song in there called Pure Comedy, where I remember being in the doctor's office waiting for a surgical consult. And the lyrics, I'm listening to them in my headphones. I think I probably shouted holy shit like three times because it was like the lyrics where dudes like gloves are off and just like that. And it was just like, wow. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to see like, firstly for me, like looking for people who have left the church and that type of an impact that it's had on him them. And that one song probably covers it to um, to no end. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, God, I mean, no, anyway. I I love moments like that. I love moments like that when you're listening to something and it's so impactful that it blows your fucking pilot light out, and you don't know how to react. So your your brain glitches, and you're just like, "What the fuck? Like, yeah. what the actual fuck? You know that I I live for moments like that, like. When that happens, I will literally, that's a song that I'm going to put on again because I want to see, like, can I get the same reaction out of myself? You know, can it, can I replicate that? Yeah. You know, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. I like that. I like that a lot because I've had, mo I've had moments like that. I've had moments like that. Yep. You know, I remember, I hate to bring up this band because the, the guy behind it's kind of a shitheel now. Um, but there's a band called Ice Earth and they put out a record called The Glorious Burden in 2004. And mm -hmm. the last three songs is called the Gettysburg Trilogy. And it's literally three songs about the Battle of Gettysburg. Mm -hmm. um, now, again, the main man behind it's kind of a shitheel because he took part in the insurrection on the 6th. He was part of that. Oh, but the, the way that these songs were constructed, and the singer at the time was Tim Owens, the way he delivered the vocal performances gave me chicken skin, right? Mm -hmm. Just because it's... Yes, it's it's power metal and it's performative and it's over the top and bombastic, but there was a realness to the delivery mm. that was like, oh wow, that that's hitting me. Like I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, what the fuck, you know? Mm. Um, kind of complicated to listen to it now. Now that the guy's fucking insurrectionist, it's kind of weird. Oh, he was one of those. He was one of those dudes that was like always into conspiracy theories, and I was like, okay, he's fucking wacky, but at least he fucking writes good music. And then I found that out, and I was like, "Shit!" I ah, that's that's hard. Where you've liked someone for so long, mm -hmm. and you be, and all of a sudden you have your own personal convictions, and you go, "How do I justify the both?" Yeah, here's someone where I've li grown up for so long listening to, and I know now is a fucking asshat. Yeah, you know, it gave me an interesting angle on the Gina Carano thing, 
because oh, for trash a trash bag. Yeah, because for a while I was like, oh man, maybe we can just separate the actor from the art, and we can kind of appreciate it. And I, mm-hmm. I now that was me being generous, right? And because I get it, like people had very strong reactions to it, and it might have tarnished their view of the Mandalorian. I got it. But I didn't really understand it until this guy that I've been following for years, who has actually been a direct influence on my guitar playing and how I looked at constructing songs, was an insurrectionist. And I was like, okay, I get it now. It was one of those things, man. And it was, it's still, like, I just now started listening to that band again after probably months of not touching their music. Because I was like, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to let that dude's dickbaggery actions take away something from me something that matters to me you know fucking asshole asshole. well that's what i felt like i mean putting some of those bands on this list i mean digging from my you know i guess i've tried to make a hard divorce from you know as i've i'm running further away from the church in Mm -hmm. my past um dissolving myself from you know like that my favorite band that wanted daniel amos um you know, when I, I had to sign everything off and I was in a group and the, that, the lead guy, my favorite musician in all the world. I mean, here I am poking a post going, I can't listen to you anymore. Yeah. I love you. I really do. You have come so far in my life and had so much meaning. And it's like, I can't mm-hmm. because of the emotional trauma and everything that I think of. I have to close this chapter in my life because your music and of similar bands like... 1992, there was an album came out similar to the Traveling Wilburys. My top four favorite bands in Christian music. The the the, the main guys in it formed a band, mm-hmm. and they called themselves the Lost Dogs. And I remember where I was where I was when I bought it. I had to travel into New York City for a concert that I was playing in. I remember as we were waiting, sitting there with my Sony Discman, and listening to it. But now knowing those four bands, like I can't listen to them anymore Mm -hmm. because all it makes me think about is my background in the church Mm -hmm. and how much like hateful of an asshole I was I used in our religion podcast I said I found my bible from college days and I was like ashamed of myself Mm -hmm. so a lot of this music that I put in the list here just to explain this is a part of life was actually really hard to do and just like you said finally going back and listening to it like I hadn't listened to Mortal in years and realizing, okay, you know, like there's band guy, guy brought up Michael Knott I put in there. And um, you would never know from listening to that song that that guy was Christian Mm -hmm. or that was a Christian label. And to me, that was what I listened to back then. But it's still really hard. Um, You know, that what the guy that the four guys who I talked about, I one of them passed away in 2000. And I happened to be at Disneyland doing a demo for my software company. And when I heard the news, I like invited myself to this guy's funeral. And it was like a who's who of every musician that I loved at the time. Imagine like being in a church where everywhere you looked around, you're like, shit, mm-hmm. shit, shit. It's like yeah. these people you liked, but it's, it's such that memory. But now going, I, just, I have to divorce myself. Right. Yep. And it's hard because I feel like I'm selling myself out because this is that I fought so hard for these musical tastes and like, I'm trying to like, just like, like them again or not for the case of it. But you know, that's why I did the one song who can hold us mm-hmm. um, from a band called Adam. Again, that's the guy who passed away and that's a cover of someone else, you know, of a someone. I mean, um, I forgot who actually did the cover of that, but um, that's the emotional thing about music. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it defines so many periods of our life. Yep. Yep. And I mean, I know we have to wrap up, but I mean, I could, I could sit on this topic for days. Oh, I'm sure. I, you know what? I mean, this is, that's, I, I knew that, I knew that tackling music it's hard. was I going mean, it's to be passionate. Yeah. It's, it was going to be a tough task because how do you possibly cover everything? Like, how do you do it? You, you don't, mm. you don't, this isn't remo- reviewing a movie. Like you have, it's not like we have something that's two and a half hours long to review. We're reviewing our lives. <laughs> like and, and, pretty much. And it is a yeah. soundtrack of our lives right. in a way. And it's like, when I was here, I remember this song. When I walked into this room, um, I remember this at this time when I see, you know, in this movie, at this moment, in this song. And it's just incredible how, yeah. like, I mean, or when certain musicians pass away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bowie passing away or Prince passing away. Sure. Was, you know, and like, I remember like years ago, never liking Prince much, but the more you got into him, you're like, talented he was sure or you know yeah like his this him as a musician the more you learned of you know he could play almost any instrument that was ever put in his hands yep yep like you have to look at that person in a different light to see like i mean i now look at him and go damn i went back and listened to the batman soundtrack because mm-hmm. someone happened to be tweeting about michael keaton is the one true batman and i'm like preach i agree with you um but that Batman Prince soundtrack. I'm like, well, I haven't listened to this in 15 years plus. Mm-hmm. Damn. It's like, it's just amazing how music becomes so emotional and Absolutely. attached to specific things. And Absolutely. So, but yep. I appreciate you inviting me on with this. This has been, this has been fun. I know. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, that's, that's the ambition of it is, you know, how do you distill all this down? But that's kind of the, that's kind of the the exciting thing about it is because you know it is so universal and it does it does matter so much and it and it, it makes sense too because that's what this whole podcast is right it's about it's us talking about things that matter to us and why it matters you know? exactly and, exactly and that's the thing that's the beauty of podcasts because you're gonna you're gonna hear something from someone else's perspective and it's gonna frame something from your own perspective differently it's gonna give mm-hmm. you a different way to look at something. It's going to mm-hmm. open your eyes and it's going to connect you to other people. And you're going to realize yes. that we are not oh, so yeah. fucking different. We are not so fucking different. There are universal things that we all connect to and music being one of them. You know, so thank you for coming on here and hanging out with us. I appreciate it. I really do. It's, it's our pleasure. You are welcome oh, any yeah. fucking time. So as we begin that. to land this bird, Des, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at at looks Jedi to me. I think one of my favorite lines of that one Mandalorian episode where he goes to Grogu goes, does this look Jedi to you? Mm-hmm. Yep. I laughed for like 20 minutes when I heard that. So you can find me at at looks Jedi to me. Uh, you can also find me on the podcast 50 Minutes. Uh, we are a news uh, political... Hello, puppies. Um, we are a Star Wars political podcast because we truly believe that Star Wars is indeed political. Preach. Um, I have three other co-hosts who are nothing short of amazing. Um, I feel like I'm the dumb one in the group because <laughs> um, of their advocacy and all that they're doing. 
Um, and so those are the two main places uh, you can find me. I'm not much on any other social media these days. I kind of walked away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I had a Twitter account I've signed up for in 2007. I've been sitting on it that I haven't done much for a while. It's like, but the at looks Jedi to me. It's been nice because I've been able to get back, do more in Star Wars, talk about music, talk about politics. And I have to say, I mean, the friends I've made in the probably the last eight to nine months have been have been incredible. Yeah, it really has. And um, so that's where you can find me. Sweet. Brad, go. All right. I'm on Twitter and Trippet co-host. Uh, you can find me on the Force Losers Facebook. Uh, you can find me online on Xbox Gaming, Grenadier117. Cool. Oh, I got one of those Xbox thingies. I never play it that much. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, trying to play Squadrons. I suck, dude. I know. I need to replace. I've needed to replace mine for like a year, and I'm just like not wanting to spend the money, which sucks because I miss it. Even though I was terrible at it, that's a whole nother conversation. My, I was gonna say I might have a deal for you because I got for my birthday a the, the Xbox One X, mm-hmm. not the Series X, but I'm just going. Don't really want it. I mean, as much as I wanted it for my birthday, I'm not really playing it so. We'll have to talk sure. about this one. We'll have to talk about this one. later than dear. You might want to give me a chat. Yeah. But, but boys, thank you so much. If you ever need me again, you always oh, know yeah. where to find me. Absolutely. Now, before we sign off, we do have a very special way of signing off. Oh, God. Yes, that's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Go, ahead. Go ahead. Ready? All right. So, now, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Ready? So, on. We're going to go three, two, one. Later, bitches. Right? Okay. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one. One. Later, Later, bitches. bitches.